morning, church. <laughs> Welcome to our neighbors. Uh, he was almost asleep when I passed him off, so. Uh, oh, well. <laughs> I'm glad to be with you. I was thinking that um, perhaps by having Josh lead, I would have more of a voice by the time we got to this stage of our, our gathering together, our celebration, and, and that's not true. <clears throat> uh, thanks for leading us, Josh. We are closing out this morning a series that we've called How to Grow. And it, uh, it's because we're at the beginning of a new year. Typically, as we make resolutions, we kind of make them tongue-in-cheek. We say, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to resolve to not make a resolution because that's something I can keep. Um, but we, maybe we never pause to ask the question, like, how does growth actually happen? How do we grow? Um, and so we've been working through this series. If, if this is your first time joining us, then that's fine, because I'm getting ready to tell you everything we've talked about. However, it will be helpful for you to go back and listen to the other ones, because I talk a lot. And um, I actually, this morning, like this is really calorie dense this morning, and I'm super hopeful that we can get done in an hour. Um, but uh, we'll, let, we'll trust the Spirit to lead us this morning. Um, this, we started the new year out with a really simple principle, and it is this. We are designed to need Jesus in order to grow. We put Jesus first, center everything we do on his love and grace because he alone has set us free. And we looked in John 15 where Jesus is teaching his disciples, and he says, look, apart from me, if you're separated from me, apart from me, you can do nothing. And so growth needs to be tied to Jesus. We are designed to need Jesus in order to grow. Um, then we looked at uh, the next uh, kind of phase, if we we're building a house, the first wall of gathering together. We we're designed to grow together with others. We, we tend to think, or I tend to think, I grew up thinking, that our, my spiritual growth was an individual, it was a personal matter. And it is personal, but it's not individual in the sense that like, what I do only affects me, and I grow best by myself. In fact, we grow better when we're together with other people, we're sharing faith, iron sharpens iron, we're having accountability. And we saw in Acts 2 that the church, as it first started to take its baby steps of following Jesus without Jesus being in the flesh with them, they really prioritized spending time together. They gathered together, not only weekly for, for church services, but daily they, they shared meals together and they shared prayers together. And so we are designed to grow together with others. Last week we looked in Colossians 3 and realized that we're designed to grow towards what we focus on. And so we looked at like that weekly gathering of the, of the church together corporately, that celebrating what Jesus has done. We're focusing our attention. We're pausing everything else that's going on in our lives. We're focusing our attention on Jesus and we're celebrating the work that he has already done. That's what we're doing here this morning. Um, and that's tied closely together with learning. Whatever we focus on is what we grow towards. And it's actually super helpful to know the person you're in relationship with. Um, if I told you guys like, uh, I'm really, I'm in love with my wife, Jessie. She's so beautiful. My favorite thing about her is her long blonde hair. You guys would all be like, oh dear Lord. <laughs> Uh, either, either he's in early, early stages of dementia or he doesn't actually know his wife. It's helpful to learn about Jesus, learn about how he worked and operated in the world, learn about his relationship uh, to the people of Israel and the Hebrew scriptures. Like it's, it's helpful to know more about the person you're walking in relationship with. Uh, and we do that by focusing in on him weekly and by diving in and digging deep and, and learning more about him. Um, but the house is incomplete. We're missing something. 
And this is a lot of like normal, uh, I think normal church stuff that I would do growing up. It's like, okay, I need to read the Bible more. I need to pray more. I need to spend more time with my accountability group. Those are like tasks that I felt like I could do growing up. But, but the house is incomplete. And so this morning I'd like to close it out and talk a little bit about how they relate together because they're not completely independent of each other, but they're also, they also can't really be done in isolation. So hopefully we'll get to that. We'll see how, we'll see how this goes. I'm going to need Jesus, um, and maybe you will too. So let's pause together and pray and ask that he'd give us what we need for today and acknowledge that all things are for him. Um, and I'm going to pray the disciples' prayer taken out of the English Standard Version in Matthew 6. Words are on the screen if you'd like to pray out loud with me. But at the very least, would you bow your hearts and let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debtors, our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. I'd like to invite you to turn with me to the book of John again, and John chapter 13. Uh, it's on page 1123 in the blue Bibles that are here uh, in the chairs, 1123, or navigate to John 13 on your phone or whatever you got. And I mentioned this when we were in John 15, um, but it's, it's, it's kind of important, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say it again. And it'll be helpful, a helpful reminder. So uh, the book of John, the biblical book of John, is a biography written about Jesus. And it was written by Jesus, one of Jesus' closest friends, uh, the Apostle John. And so as John reflects on, on Jesus' life, he wants to tell the story. He wants to really highlight that Jesus is God. But the, the pace of the book, the pace of the biography, if we were sitting down and reading the whole thing together, and we could do that, take us about an hour and a half, if we were going to read the whole thing together, the pace of the book is really interesting because the first 12 chapters of the book cover about three years of time. Talking about Jesus' ministry, he's healing, he's teaching, he's loving, he's casting out demons, he's doing all those things. Um, and then in, in chapter 13, where we're going to be today, the whole pace shifts. And where we did three years and 12 chapters, the last eight chapters cover about one week. It zeroes in on one night in particular, three days as specially relating to his death, burial, and resurrection, and then a couple days afterwards as Jesus restores some of his disciples who had wavered. So it's like we're going through, we're chucking uh, for the first 12 chapters, we're going through, we're talking about Jesus, he's doing all these things, and we hit chapter 13 and everything slows down. We need to focus on what he is saying this is his last night with his disciples before he's crucified. What he says here, he knows will be remembered and be important for generations to come. And the way he starts this sermon is with an illustration that's going to blow their minds. Would you read it together with me in John chapter 13, beginning in verse 1? 
Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. During supper, when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments and taking a towel, tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. I'll pause there because this is, this is significant. So this is, this is the last night before Jesus is crucified. He understands that for the people that have been following him for the last three years or so, that their life is getting ready to get messed up and turned upside down. The person that they've followed in the flesh now is going to be taken away from them, and that's going to be hard for them to deal with. And he's like, all right, I got one more night. I got one more pep talk. I got one more time to pour into these guys to give them some words from my lips to their ears that they can carry with them. How will I teach them the most important things about following me? How will I show them the takeaways, the things that they need to remember as they go forward? What can I possibly say that's going to get them pointed on the right direction? And what he does is he takes a towel and ties around his waist and he washes their feet. Now, if we like feet, then maybe like we're cool with that. If we don't like feet, mm, this is uncomfortable. But for them, it, it meant more than just like, why, why his hands on my toes? Like, that's weird. This actually was a common thing. So we don't think about, well, maybe we think about it a little bit in Florida. Um, these folks wore sandals primarily for most of the time. Everywhere they went, they wore sandals. So that's kind of Florida life. Not today. Oh, Lord, not today. Um, but typically, like normal Florida weather, we'd be able to wear sandals and flip-flops. And, you know, we get to the end of the day and our feet are kind of dirty, right? We don't have socks on. We don't have shoes on. Um, so our feet need to be cleansed. For them, they had another level up because there, was no, there were very few paved roads, the roads around there were, were either paved with cobblestone, which got dirty, or they were dirt. They walked around in dirt paths a lot more than we do. And so it was really common as people would come into their home um, alongside with washing their hands, they'd also have a servant to wash people's feet. Um, I, I met a lady this week, and she, uh, she said her dad worked as some kind of a biologist. I'm not really sure. He worked in a lab. And she said, he took me one day um, to his laboratory, and he had his, his assistant kiss a piece of glass. Mwah! Kiss the piece of glass and put it under a microscope and, and like, so that she could see the bacteria that was on his lips, and it just kind of grew across this glass. And, she, and she's like, oh my gosh, that's so disgusting. And her dad said, that's why you should never kiss a boy. And she was traumatized for the rest of her life. So she's like a super germ, germaphobe, like super, super, super. And she's got reason to. She comes by it honest. But she, she, we were working together, and she was cleaning the coffee pot, and she dropped something on the ground. And... Um, and I picked it up, it was, it was the filter part. So it wasn't, even, it wasn't even like something that you were gonna touch. And this, I'm a landscaper, I'm cool with dirt, I don't really care. So I picked the thing up off the ground, the concrete floor, which had just been swept, in my opinion, just been swept, and I went to put it back. No! It's like, well, it's just, we, we've swept the floor, there's not any dirt on it. And she's like, there's nothing more disgusting than the bottom of somebody's shoe. 
All right, strong reaction. Um, I'll let you decide whether it's a little bit too strong. <clears throat> but like, that's the thing. And that's for us who like, by and large, we walk on carpet, we walk on pavement, our shoes are, are kind of clean. For you walking on a dirt road where the transportation drops uh, exhaust droppings, <laughs> uh, cows and stuff or, or mules and things, they don't, they don't run on clean energy. <laughs> um, so like you walk through some stuff. And so the person that would come in and wash your feet when you came to eat at a meal, like that guy wasn't really excited about his job. So the rabbi then, the teacher, the most respected one in the room, the one who for anybody else in the room, if he had said, hey, I need you guys to wash my feet, they would have done it. He is the one who kneels down, puts a towel around his waist and begins to wash your feet. I've got, one, I've got one more conversation to have with these guys. I've been with them for three years. I don't know that they quite get it yet. I need to equip them for what's coming next. How can I show them what's most important? Let me wash their feet. Your key, just, just this is a, a reading note, your key that something different is happening here actually comes in his hour. In, in the beginning of the chapter, it said, having known that his hour had come. To us this morning, that doesn't, that doesn't ring off any bells, but if we'd been reading through the book of John, there's been three times in the book of John where it said, my hour was not yet. It wasn't my hour yet. It's not my hour. It's not my hour. So you've heard three times, it's not my hour. And now we hear, now's the hour. This is the hour. Game time. We're about to play. And what does he do? He washes her feet. You're the professor with the PhD. You've got tenure. What are you doing with the janitor's bucket cleaning toilets? That's not your job. Jesus? What tasks are beneath us? What, what ministry would we say, like, oh, yeah, I, I can do better than that? What's fascinating to me, though, about how John describes this, he says, <clears throat> when Jesus knew his hour had come, game on, to come at, or had come to depart out of this word of the Father, having loved his own, um, he loved them to the end. Oh, there it is in verse three. I'm sorry. I didn't write down what verse it was in. Verse three, Jesus, knowing that the father had given all things into his hands and knowing that he had come from God and was going back to God, he rose from supper. His act of service is based upon his confidence in who the father has named him. Jesus has nothing to prove. Jesus doesn't care if you call him rabbi. He doesn't care if you call him homeboy. He knows who he is. He knows what he came to do. And he's there to serve and to love. It comes out of his confidence from the Father. Jesus knows that his life is for the benefit of others. Jesus knows that his life is for the benefit of others. He says it just the chapter before, and you don't have to turn there, but it's in, in, verse, in chapter 12, verse 23. Uh, I should have highlighted it. Uh, 23, Jesus answered to them, the hours come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Whoever loses his life, uh, whoever loves his life loses it. Whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. He says, look, my life is for the benefit of others. And we also are designed to grow for the benefit of others. 
I tend to think like I need to do a New Year's resolution. I need to be a better me for me. I need, I need to be a better me for me. I need to grow and, and be a more mature person I need to, because I need, to, I need to just be a better person. And Jesus says, no, the, the point of our life, the object of our life is to serve others, whether we're serving him as Lord of Lords and King of Kings or whether we're serving our neighbor, we're designed to grow for the benefit of others. Let me take finances real quick, just, just real quick. It's not my notes. I'm probably on, on thin ice here, but let me, let me just take finances. Jesus doesn't care how much is in your bank account. You having a stable financial situation actually is a better blessing to your neighbors who don't have to continue to help you out all the time because you can't get it squared away. The, the, just as an example, there are other things like that. Your emotional health, like... Really, your emotional health isn't so you feel better about yourself. It's so that everybody else doesn't have to deal with your drama and what's going on in your head. And that's at me, because that's, that's me. Jesse knows. Get your stuff straight, Michael. We're designed to grow for the benefit of others. And this is actually even true for plants. You, this is my last time to drop a horticultural thing in here. This is my whole how to grow sermon. You guys, you're tired of it. It's okay. What's the true fruit of a tree? If you got an orange tree, what's the fruit of an orange tree? I, what? All right, stop. An orange? Right, that's the fruit of an orange tree. So you got an orange tree, it flowers, and the point of the flower is to get pollinated to grow fruit. So flower to fruit, you're orange. Like, that's what I want because I'm, an, I'm, I'm, I'm a human. That's what I can eat. That's what I enjoy. But what is the fruit? What's the part of the fruit you don't like other than the peel? The seed, like I want to spit that out. But that's actually the point of the fruit. The point of the fruit is the seed. What's the point of the seed? The point of the seed is another tree. The fruit of an orange tree is another tree. We're designed to grow for the benefit of others. One tree can produce how many seeds in a season? We're designed to grow for the benefit of others. And Jesus knows that his life is for the benefit of others. And he's trying to show them in the most practical way that he possibly can. Let me take the lowliest position and let me wash your feet. Let me get that poo off of there. I'm going to scrub underneath your toenails. Let's keep reading. John chapter 13 and verse 6. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, uh, Lord, um, do, you, do you wash my feet? Jesus answered him, what I'm doing now, what I'm doing, you do not understand now, but afterwards you will understand. Peter said to him, you, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, if I do not wash you, you have no share with me. Simon Peter said to him, uh, well, then Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, the one who is bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. And you're clean, but not every one of you. For he knew who was to betray him. That's why he said, not all of you are clean. I'll pause there. So Simon Peter, I don't know if you've met him yet. He's a little bit of a loud mouth. And he's the guy who will say what everybody in the room is thinking. Um, and, and so Jesus is getting down. He's washing people's feet, which is interesting if he came to Peter, this is, this is a whole sidebar. My suspicion is that he actually, Jesus actually washed Judas's feet first 
and Peter was at the other end of the table, and Peter was probably the last one to get his feet washed. So I think Peter has probably watched Jesus wash everybody else's feet in the room. He comes to the end and says, I'm at the end of the table tonight. I don't understand why. I've got my own beef about that. They've already had an argument about who's the greatest. There's a whole lot going on here. And Peter says, no, you're not washing my feet. You're my rabbi. I got more respect for you than that. You're not going to wash my feet. And Jesus says, if I don't wash your feet, you have no part of me. Well, then I guess you have to give me a shower, Jesus. Pete, that's a little extra. You don't understand it yet, but you will. Let me do this for you. Jesus challenges who Peter thinks that Jesus is. Um, and I was actually really challenged this week. Uh, there's a, a church uh, called Grace Church of Bath in Bath, Ohio. And they're doing a series right now called How It Started, How It's Going. And the first part of that series, or the first series in that sermon, the first sermon in that series was really challenging to me because it, it reinforced a truth that I knew and a truth that I have said before, but that I needed to relearn in a different way that we follow Jesus, who is a person, and it is much more difficult to follow a person than it is to follow a book of rules. People are dynamic. When you think you know them, they share something else about themselves that, that completes the picture. And Peter's saying, Jesus, this does not fit into what I know about you. You are, you are the teacher. Um, and, and, and Jesus is like, I'm more dynamic than that. I came here to serve. So remember, our house was incomplete. We're putting Jesus first. We're gathering together as a community. We're celebrating Jesus, focusing in on him regularly. We're learning more about him. And then we put it all into action. We begin to serve. Jesus came to serve. The washing, though, this, this is something that I find really, really interesting. The washing, though, is a symbolic thing. He's, but the washing itself matters. Peter says, you're not going to do this. And Jesus says, yes, I am. Me washing your feet matters, not just because of the symbol, but because of what it represents. If, you, if I do not wash you, you have no part in me. So when we as Neighborhood Church celebrate communion, part of the, com the communion celebration that we observe is taking the bread and the cup, which is, which is really common in most, in most fellowships, um, but we also wash one another's feet. Jesus will say by the end of this, we haven't gotten there yet, that, that you're blessed if you do this. And, and I've had some people push back and say like, yeah, but that's just supposed to tell Christians that Christians are supposed to serve one another. We're supposed to have an attitude of service towards another and we have the attitude. And I, I agree with that. If we, do the, if we do the ritual and we don't have the attitude, then we've completely missed it. But there's something about the ritual that matters if Jesus didn't say to Peter, oh, well, as long as you serve other people um, in attitude, then it doesn't matter if I actually wash your feet. He says, no, if, if I don't wash you, I have no part of me. It's kind of strong. And these are things that I, like, I did not grow up trying to figure out. This is all uh, stuff that I've come to later in life. But washing is a physical symbol of the spiritual truth. And Peter has to wrestle with, I thought I knew who Jesus was. I thought he was pointed in this direction, and he actually is leading me somewhere else. He's not fitting in the categories that I thought he was going to fit in. He doesn't say everything that I thought he was going to say in the way that I thought he was going to say it. And so am I actually going to let him do this thing that seems disgusting to me? Will I let the one that I have so much respect and regard for stoop so low 
as to wash my feet? Will we continue to follow Jesus when he challenges our expectations? Because here's what I suspect. The more you read, the more you get to interact with Jesus, the more he will challenge your expectations. We, like, I love to tell you that Jesus loves you. It's absolutely true. He loves you, but there's, there's a side of Jesus too that says, I'm not gonna tolerate some of the stuff that you're doing. I love you, but I love you too much to let you keep doing that stuff. And the, the day will come where there's gonna come a judgment and that's all gonna be put into an end and I don't want that for you. But that's the personality of Jesus. That's the dynamicness of Jesus that can say, my love is perfect, come as you are. You don't have to get your life cleaned up and also say like, you need to take care of some of this stuff. Like, let me work through you to redeem some of these things. And when Jesus challenges our expectations, sometimes we begin to think like, okay, maybe there's something wrong with my faith. Maybe there's something like, like, I don't like that Jesus is saying it, or I don't like that he comes off that way. Like, and we begin to think like, maybe there's something wrong with me. Like, this is not new. You see Peter going through it right now. And I suspect that for each of us, there comes a time where we have to wrestle this down. I think this wrestling with Jesus not meeting our expectations is necessary for a genuine faith. Will we continue to follow Jesus when he challenges our expectations? Sometimes it happens in, in, in our church communities where we say, well, I thought Jesus was like this, but those people are such hypocrites and I can't stand the way that they talk to one another and they should know better than that. I thought they said that they love one another. I thought they, they founded their church on 1 Corinthians 13 and love is perfect and love is patient and love is kind and they ain't any of those things. Listen, I get it. But notice with me, there is no perfect spiritual community on this side of the sun. Jesus, the perfect pastor, the best preacher, the miracle worker, the one who has every gift in proportion, knew the one who would betray him. If Jesus can't change the hearts of everybody in his small group, then neither can any of us. And so the question becomes, will I continue to follow Jesus when he or the community that he's put me in doesn't meet my expectations? Will I continue to put my trust in him because I know that we're designed to grow for the benefit of others. Let's continue reading in verse 12, John chapter 13, verse 12. When he'd washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, do you understand what I've done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you're right, for so I am. If then I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. I'm not speaking of all of you. I know whom I have chosen, but the scripture will be fulfilled. He who ate my bread has lifted his heel against me. I'm telling you this now before it takes place, that when it does take place, you may believe that I am he. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever receives the one I send receives me, and whoever receives me receives the one who sent me. Jesus 
several times in, in this evening, as different biographies will record, Jesus is challenging their conception of what it means to be a leader, what it means to be great. And Jesus says that greatness might be demonstrated by humble service. Greatness might be demonstrated by your willingness, your joy in picking up a mop and doing the janitor's job. Whoever loves his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake will keep it. If we're designed to grow for the benefit of, of others, do we live our lives primarily for our own benefit? Primarily for our own comfort. And it is that, if we're honest, is that what Jesus is calling us to do? There's, there's personal benefits to following Jesus. Like, that, don't get me wrong. There's corporate benefits too. And I think I'm quick to lose sight of the fact that even though me giving forgiveness to somebody like releases me from, from bitterness and stuff like that, it also has a benefit to them. And loving service defines spiritual community. It's a definition. Um, believe it or not, there's only four times in the New Testament where Jesus gives a description of his disciples. The words, my disciple, only shows up four times. And one of them is here at the end of chapter 13. There's a description of what my disciples, people who follow me, this is, this is what they're like. Um, in John chapter 13, uh, and I'm going to read verse 31. When he'd gone out, uh, that's Judas. Judas left after this. Jesus said, now the Son of Man is glorified and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and glorify him at once. Uh, God gets all the glory. Little children, yet a little while I'm with you. You will seek me, and just as I said to the Jews, so now I say also to you, where I'm going, you cannot come. Here's the definition of spiritual community. A new commandment I'm giving to you that you love one another just as I have loved you. You are also, or you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Love is not just a feeling of affection. I don't, it's not just like I like these people a little bit. It actually is. No, I lay down my life for these people. I will serve them. I will love them. Because we're designed to grow for the benefit of others. I'm going to go back here and just say a couple things in closing. None of these things is isolated from the other. They each all kind of work together. And growth actually happens in seasons. So I can be like, yo, as a, as a church, we need to put Jesus first. We need to be in small groups. We need to be coming on Sunday morning. We need to be learning and, and digging deeper into the word. We need to be serving. And you can be, your head can be spinning and going, I don't have that much time, Mike. Doesn't make, that doesn't make a lot of sense. Like, there's one thing in this series that I didn't quite know how to fit in other than to just add this addendum here. Growth happens in seasons too. There may be a time where you're like, I really need to learn some more. I took four years, uh, five years, and, and studied the word really, really deeply. And during that time, I wasn't doing a lot of serving. There's, there's times where I really need to spend time celebrating Jesus and be refreshed by that. There's times where I really just need to turn the key on the car 
and I need to start serving. I just need to do the work. And some of the other stuff, the, the relationship stuff will sort itself out. There's times where I just need to be gathering with people and need to love them and I need to let them love me. Growth happens in seasons, but that foundation's always got to be Jesus first. We're designed to grow for the benefit of others. Um, growth doesn't happen in isolation. We were designed to grow together with others. We're designed to grow towards what we focus on. We're designed to need Jesus in order to grow. Would you pray together with me? We thank you, Lord Jesus, that you are who you are. We trust you that you know the best way to communicate to us. <laughs> There's times where I'm reading, reading your word and thinking, if I was God, I wouldn't write it that way. And there's times where I'm tempted to be critical of you in that moment until I realize if I was God, then I probably would have written it the way you did it. And there's something I don't understand yet. Lord, in your kindness and your compassion and your long-suffering, would you lead us on? Would you help us to put ourselves in the right place to grow? As we look at these different emphases, as we look at what um, following you looks like, would you show us what it is that you would have us do next? We need you, Lord. Would you help us to trust you more? It's in your name that we pray. Amen. We'll take a few minutes and reflect on how God's speaking this morning. Um, if there's something that you need to do, then there's, here's some quiet moments to do that. Um, and then we'll close out in singing.